Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Ryan McLaughlin, and for the first time in this podcast history, I am alone on this side of the microphone. But don't worry, that doesn't mean that you won't be hearing Adam Mangana's lovely voice. He's actually one of my guests here today. We are joined by Erica Donalds, who is the CEO of the Optima Foundation. And I've also got with me Adam Mangana, who is the executive director of Optima Domi. And they are joining us today at a very exciting time in Optima's history. So we can't wait to hear all about that. But I wanna just say first and foremost, Erica, welcome to the podcast. Adam, I don't feel like I need to welcome you, but maybe I should. (laughs) But thank you both so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you, excited to be on Ready Teacher One and talk to the world about the technology that we're moving forward in education. It's a really exciting time, Ryan, uh, and we can't wait to share. That's tremendous. Well, I would love to just start off by asking you guys to tell our audience a little bit about Optima Classical Academy and everything that's going on there. Well, I'll start off just with a little bit of history of how we got here. Uh, I was on the local school board elected just as a mom. I was a CPA in in investment management and just was interested in making sure my community had great education system. But after serving four years on the board, realized that choice and competition is what's going to really reform things in education. And instead of dedicating my time on the board, I thought my entrepreneurial skills would be better helping to open schools of choice. And I've been doing so for the past few years in the brick and mortar setting with charter classical schools in Florida in various regions that are full and have healthy waiting lists. We're seeing lots of demand for the classical model of education. But thanks to the pandemic, when we put classical education online and made it available in this flexible format for families, they loved it. In fact, we had families calling us whose students didn't even go to our schools in order to have their children participate in our online classical program. So we found out through the pandemic that there is a demand from families for a classical online option. And I was very fortunate to be connected with Adam Mangana, rock star, classicist, and VR classroom developer to bring this vision forward for Optima Domi and Optima Classical Academy, combining the best of both, the best of curriculum in the classical model of education and the best of modern technology in virtual reality delivery. Well, I certainly agree with you there. Adam is indeed a rock star. Uh, Erica, I would love to hear more from you about the virtual reality side of things. What is it about VR that presents a unique opportunity for classical education? Well, classical education really depends on the teacher being the master of the knowledge domain. And we want our teachers to impart that knowledge to their students. It is not a self-paced or student-led format. And the best way that I found that I really never thought of before I encountered Adam um, to have that connection between teacher and student where the teacher can command the classroom and impart their knowledge is in VR, where the student actually feels like they're in that classroom. They feel like they're in the presence of that master teacher. And the teacher has the presence of those students to read their their movements, their feedback, their questions, and be able to really deliver the content-rich curriculum that we have. There's nothing like it. And Adam will tell you that 
that in VR is the best way also to teach virtue. And our curriculum is virtue-based and only through that community environment that you can create in VR, that you cannot re recreate in Zoom, uh, can we really have that both knowledge-rich and virtue-based curriculum that we espouse in classical education? Yeah, that's tremendous. I, I think, you know, we've heard from teachers across the country who have talked about that lack of connection in Zoom and that lack of ability to form relationships. And that's such a, a crucial part that's missing from, from Zoom school, from other online formats that VR brings. Um, Adam, do you have anything to add? Yeah, you know, I think one of the simplest ways to think about it, you know, Sometimes businesses are based on secrets and, and we often ask the contrarian question on Ready Teacher One, what is it that you know to be true about something that your colleagues would disagree with you on? Right. And what, what, we, what, what Erica and I stumbled upon was that when you're in a Zoom classroom, you essentially have 25 different classrooms, right? And to that, that point around, you know, teachers are used to managing one classroom. When you put the VR headset on, we're back to that one classroom at which the content expert is at the center. And so that insight allowed us to really focus our uh, synchronous or teacher-directed instruction where it could really move the dial. And one of the big problems that, that Eric and I came together on was this idea that, that, that Zoom school is lonely. And you can't have a true classical education that focuses on civic virtue and teaching children to be, live virtuous lives, right? Not, as, not just educating the minds, but educating the hearts. You cannot educate the heart of a child in two dimensions. That's tremendous. I would love to hear a little bit more about the plans for OCA. I know that you guys are launching uh, next fall, is that correct? That's right. We open across the state of Florida as a public virtual option in the fall of 2022, grades three to eight. We'll be following that with high school grades in the following school year in 2023. Um, but we're also going to make this curriculum available across the country as a private option as we continue to go state by state and make it a public option available to every family as it should be for free. And that's what we believe. We believe in school choice. And we really want to make this option available to every family in our country as a public option. It starts with Florida, the school choice state next year, and then we'll be coming to a state near you. But we do want to make it available to those families who may have the ability to pay for it and want to have this flexibility at, at home classical virtual reality education. And, and I would just add to that, you know, one of the real uh, blessings that has come from this is that we can hire teachers all over the country and the world. So imagine the best classical teachers in the world pouring into your child wherever you are in the country. And uh, so for folks who are living in more rural areas or, or, or areas that have difficult times solving some of those human capital problems, we're, we are a solution that allows for uh, families in rural Mississippi, for example, where, where I'm raising my children to get access to the best teachers in Naples or in New York City, or in, in the heartland in Texas, right? Those teachers can live anywhere and deliver great instruction uh, that is content rich and, and focused on teaching virtue. Say a little bit more about what a class at OCA will look like. Uh, you know, I'm imagining, you know, in VR, a, a student is maybe 
sitting at the feet of Socrates uh, in, in the marketplace in Athens. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what that looks like in practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're really excited about, about what, the, uh, what that sense of community is, but at the heart of the classical education is not only an appreciation and deep uh, content knowledge around the great books, you know, that time-tested curriculum. And so students will discuss those great books together. And the reason that VR is a much better tool for that is once you get, a, once you get a past about eight people on a Zoom meeting, the audio is just, uh, it's brutal, right? You, you can't sure. have people talking over each other. Um, what we have in VR is we have this uh, spatial audio, which, which mimics reality, where you can have those, those time-tested um, methodology and pedagogical strategies of, you know, turn and talk or think pair share. So students can move to a part of the room, uh, discuss a chapter in the great book, then come back together and share their gleanings, what they noticed, what they wondered about. Yeah, we, we have the opportunity for the teacher to extend the, two, the, the, the children's thinking through Socratic discourse, mm -hmm. which is a huge piece that, that VR pulls off that, that, um, that Zoom doesn't really, right? We can't have those Socratic seminars that are artifacts of a great classical education. Um, and so imagine a Socratic seminar in which children are avatars in the metaverse discussing the great books, right? Um, and, so, and so what we're really doing is we are, we are focused on making sure that online education is the absolute best delivery measured to this time-tested uh, content that is unapologetically American and classical. That's incredible. You know, we talk so often about the visual elements in VR and the tactile elements in VR. We don't talk often enough about the audio elements of VR and what that brings to the table for remote learning. But you raise an excellent point, Adam, you know, the ability to have a Socratic dialogue, the ability to break off into small groups and have those conversations without trying to shout over each other. Um, that's tremendous. That's a huge benefit of VR that we don't often talk about enough, I think. Well, you know, one of the things that Erica and I run into often as we're talking to our classical colleagues is, is their healthy skepticism of technology, right? Sure. And we remind them, Erica and I have been in many a room where we remind them that Socrates was skeptical of books. That's right. right? And he was skeptical for the right reason. He was keenly aware of um, what makes us more human. And that soundtrack to our lives makes us more human, that audio element. So he was concerned that we would no longer be great orators, that we would lose our memories. And we can get back to teaching a great uh, public speaking course in VR that you can't do on Zoom. Imagine teaching a public speaking course on Zoom or juxtapose that to OCA's public speaking course that's in Pompeii in the Great Theater in mm. front of 200 of their classmates, right? So that's a very different sense of presence. And that brings back uh, what has made us human, which is the opportunity to speak in that oral tradition um, to, to, to our peers and convince them. That's the, that's the rhetoric that we, what we think of when we think of the trivium. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. You mentioned encountering some skepticism from folks in the classical education world around technology. Do you also encounter skepticism on the other end from VR folks who may have questions about uh, the classical education model? You know, 
um, and I would love to, to, to get, give Eric an opportunity to respond to this too. You know, the folks who are um, tech forward and, and specifically looking at VR and education are so excited about the world's first uh, complete VR curricula and VR school. It's a huge um, uh, achievement to be able to get to this place. And, and as Erica mentioned, it, it was not by accident, it was very intentional. And so those who are watching um, how we're using social VR to solve the loneliness problem, mm. right, um, are pleasantly surprised when they find out that it is married to a time-tested curriculum. And many of them find themselves having been exposed to it. Maybe they read, you know, some of the, the, the great works, but they're typically fans of, of ancient Rome, ancient Greece. Sure. They love Shakespeare, right? And so the idea of being transported back to Athens or being able to talk to Virgil as he's thinking through the Aeneid, those mm -hmm. things are really exciting for our folks who love VR. And many of them have been exposed to pro, um, uh, classical VR experiences like Rome Reborn or Domi. Okay. Uh, and so they have some exposure to some of the, 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 the initial um, standalone single player VR experiences. What makes our curriculum different is it is, it is multiplayer and it is social. And so our kids can experience Rome together. And that adds a layer uh, of meaning to that that I think um, is very powerful for learners. Well, Ryan, the other piece of this, the people who are skeptical of classical education, it is often because there is no technological element to it. And they question whether it is a valid method for today to eliminate all of the modern technology and the benefits that modern technology can bring and go back to completely traditional education, which is what we do in a lot of our brick and mortar schools. You don't find iPads and laptops in the classroom and devices. And so a lot of the skepticism associated with classical is because there is not a technology element to it. So it almost when we bring in what can be done well utilizing modern technology while still keeping the tenets of classical education and what makes classical education so great and marry those two things, I think brings more credibility to classical education to those who are more progressive in their thinking when it comes to education reforms and new curriculums. Also with classical, it has made a reemergence recently and now has data to back up its efficacy in the education space. And so it's getting more and more credibility every year as these new classical schools, many of them classical charter schools across the country have valid testing data information that feeds into the ed reform movement and those who would be questioning whether it is research-based, whether it is for today, when you see that these students are outperforming and they are getting into great colleges and doing very well, you, it gives that credibility to classical. And now we're also bringing in this technological element that says we're not against technology just to be against technology, but we want to preserve what makes classical education uh, so unique and so effective. And Ryan, if I could add one thing to that, I think Erica hit it right on the nose, but I would say you know, many organizations are asking themselves, what will change in education in the next 10 years? And if you're asking yourself that question, we think you're probably going to be 10 years behind. The better question is what will stay the same? And so even though we understand that 
uh, VR will be a delivery mechanism. The classical books, the great books, will be here 10 years from now. They'll be here 50 years from now. They'll be here 100 years from now, right? Sure. And the embrace of Western civilization and passing on our rich heritage, right? That will also be here. And so the, the delivery mechanism may be different, but at the heart of Domi, we are asking ourselves, what will stay the same? We're making sure that we preserve that and protect it and hold it up and be unapologetic about it. But we are also trying to use the best tools to accomplish the best outcomes. We are also skeptical of technology for technology's sake. We're not interested in $1,000 pencils, but we understand that this is different. And this allows for the common courtesy of connection and the human relationships that makes us more human. That's a powerful answer. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I get the sense that more of our listeners are probably familiar with the VR side of things than the classical side of things. So I would love to hear just a little bit more in detail. You know, you talk about the curriculum that you're planning to spread, you know, across the country and starting in Florida. Um, what sorts of things will be in that curriculum? I, you know, you've mentioned the great books, you've mentioned virtues. I imagine, you know, Iliad and Odyssey, I'm imagining, you know, Marcus Aurelius, all that good stuff. But say a little bit more about, you know, for folks that are looking to get a third through eighth grader, either enrolled in Optima Classical Academy or purchase the curriculum somewhere down the road, what sorts of things can they expect to find in that curriculum? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, 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 Ryan, it's a, it's a great question. I think, um, as we mentioned before, at the, at the heart of classical education is the life of the mind. It's an embrace of the great books. It's, a, it's an embrace of the liberal arts. And so, um, unfortunately, our society, because we have been so focused on maximizing utility, let's look at these test scores. Let's try to get these kids jobs. You hear these buzzwords now in every public school. Uh, we want a computer science curriculum, right? And the reality is that, that, that the needs, the demands of the market are moving way faster than any public school could, could meet those demands. As soon as you train them on HTML, they need to know solidity, right? And so the future-proof education is one in which you go back to the basics. You learn how to read. You learn how to write. A, a crude analogy would be, you know, what does Alabama football do well? It blocks and tackles, right? What does classical education do well, it does the basics, right? So you leave being able to communicate, being able to have discussions, being able to think for yourself. It is a curriculum that embraces the individual freedom uh, that, that is required to maintain our democracy. And so you hear this word civic virtue, and at the core of, of being part of this movement, it's about teaching the true history of, the, of, of our country for all of its uh, uh, beauty and its complexity mm -hmm. and allowing children to discuss it in a way that uh, empowers them to be their own thinker. And Ryan, the, you know, the, the math of today is different. They've tried different types of math over the years. It continuously changes. You know, classical education doesn't follow fads. It finds out what has worked, what may have worked for hundreds of years, and it sticks with that. So Singapore, Singapore Math is our mathematics program. It is a, a basic math program that has been proven in multiple countries, in Singapore especially with its very high math scores worldwide. Uh, we go back to explicit grammar and explicit phonics. That means diagramming sentences. 
We're talking about handwriting. We're talking about Latin, which is helpful in vocabulary and learning foreign languages in writing. Uh, so these are part of the elements of our classical curriculum. In addition to the great books and the literary classics that they'll be reading, history, geography, vocabulary. You know, we're not teaching skills necessarily. We're teaching children how to acquire knowledge in itself is a skill. But as you teach knowledge to children, they grab onto that knowledge. You don't need to teach a child how to, how to grab onto knowledge. You give them the knowledge and they want to take it from you. And so when you're packing their little beautiful brains full of information in the grammar stage, as the trivium outlines that Adam alluded to, you know, it's not necessarily a skill-based time for these kids. It's a time for them to acquire knowledge that later they'll be able to start connecting the dots in the logic stage and then in the rhetoric stage, arguing and debating their own opinions about the knowledge that they've acquired. It's a beautiful process that these students go through that uh, the greatest minds of history went through themselves over the last thousands of years that we're just emulating with the best of today's technology. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch both of those things be married together. That's amazing. You know, I was, Adam, when you were talking uh, about the rush to create technology courses and the rush to create computer science courses, even though by the time you create that curriculum, it's already outdated, right? I was thinking back to the Martin Luther King quote where he said, uh, you know, we've guided missiles, but we've misguided men. And it occurs to me that uh, character and virtue in education those are never going to become obsolete, right? And so it, it's uh, it's beautiful here to hear you guys talk about a curriculum that is uh, uh, obsolescence proof, if you will. Yeah, Ryan, I would add to that, like, you know, we're endowed with a particular IQ. We, we can do very little to change that. But our character, right, we have, we have choice. We have opportunity to grow that. We can exercise that. Um, and so we've had a, a progressive model of education that has over-indexed for, you know, IQ and tried to create, you know, a, a, a method of democratizing immigrants and finding who can fit where in the factory. We don't have any factories anymore. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have a very mobile society that requires um, uh, a, a much more um, uh, targeted approach to developing uh, civic virtue, look at the problems that we're facing as a society right now and, and how democracy has been under assault. And to be able to bring an education that, that feeds into being part of something bigger than yourself, understanding that and understanding how you fit in a heritage is very exciting for, for the work that we're doing. And, um, and we think at the very least, if, if, if all we do is uh, allow our scholars to, to learn that history, to embrace that history. Uh, we've been successful in this endeavor. You know, Adam, one of the first things that you and I ever talked about with regards to VR and education is this question of what would it look like to have a VR-based school? Um, you know, back in, the, uh, back in our, our Vanderbilt days, you were kind enough to show me some of the early education experiences on the Oculus Rift. And, uh, you know, I was blown away. I think many of our classmates were blown away by these one-off experiences. But then, you know, our conversations turned to, well, what would it take to have an entire school based on virtual reality? 
I would love to hear from both of you, uh, what lessons have you learned about what it takes to have a school based on virtual reality um, as you've kind of been pioneers in solving these problems for the first time? Well, I think the first insight, and, and I will certainly uh, want, to, want Erica to chime in on this, is that, you know, at our core, right, we are a school that's teaching virtue online. And what we've discovered is if that's your true north, VR is the best delivery mechanism for it, right? So VR is the tool, but what really separates us apart from others who are claiming to be a VR school is that we are complete and we care as much about what happens when the headset comes off as what happens when the headset is on. And that's a really powerful piece because we're not keeping kids in headsets for eight hours a day which is developmentally inappropriate, right? We're really using the tool for what it does best, right? The things that I mentioned, Socratic discourse, VR field trips, being able to deliver the very big, the very, you know, the very small, think about entering a cell, for example. Sure. And, and those things that are more appropriate in two dimensions, for example, handwriting, right? We can do that through video chat. We can do that through our LMS. So our complete curricula includes what we call the planned, the delivered and the received. The plans are the lesson plans. The delivered are the teacher resource guides. Those include both two-dimensional assets and three-dimensional assets and a learning management system and the received, the assessments. And we can assess our students in multiple uh, domains, but those things are, are much more traditional in their, in their, in their look because there, there has been a, a time-tested plan for this. How, what are the best ways to teach grammar? What are the best ways to teach handwriting? There's enough information out there for us to see that. And, um, and so, um, you know, we, at our core, we are a classical uh, education curriculum company, and we happen to deliver uh, the teaching of virtue in VR. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We are a VR school because the live instruction, the most important part of the day, the interaction with the teacher, the most important person in this, in this equation happens in virtual reality. And the interaction with your peers happens in virtual reality. But we are able to look at this landscape, look at our entire curriculum, and select the best mode of delivery for each element of the curriculum. So if it is handwriting, we're looking at document cameras and, and how the teachers can effectively remotely help a child with their handwriting. If it's annotating a book, it is with a paper book and a pen and a highlighter and teaching a student how to annotate that book and have that interaction with the book that you can almost only do with that paper copy in your hand. Um, and then selecting VR for the things that are best done with that connection that is taking place in person, so to speak, or in person in VR in the metaverse. And instead of being myopic about everything has to be on the computer where you're clicking buttons, everything has to be on a camera where most of these are in two dimensions, we have this menu of delivery options and we're not closed minded about which one is the best delivery option. And we've often been asked as well, why isn't anybody else doing this? Well, we're just hitting this at the right time. Really, it's God's grace that put us in this position at this time in history, right after the pandemic, right when everyone is looking at virtual options, but also as the Oculus, uh, which we're using, and the technology becomes more affordable to be able to scale it to students. 
as well as these other virtual companies have invested so much in two dimensions, they really have a hard time pivoting to 3D. And so we're building it from scratch in three dimensions. We're able to look at a menu of technological and analog options on how to deliver this classical model of education. And we're hitting it at just the right time when the iron is very hot with parents and they're looking for flexibility that virtual provides. That's absolutely tremendous. Tell me a little bit about uh, the details of OCA. Uh, how many students will you guys launch with next fall? Where can people find out more if they want to enroll their kids or perhaps apply to be a teacher or any of that? Absolutely. So we're going to open with uh, 1,200 students in the fall. We, uh, we are going to quickly try to figure out how to, to meet the demand. We've, we've already had uh, quite a bit of inquiries and we're anticipating that we're, sure. going to, we're going to have a wait list. But the great thing about uh, virtual education is that we should be able to, to, to accommodate those folks on the wait list uh, much, much more quickly than we could in a, a, in a finite brick and mortar environment. Um, and in terms of finding us, uh, www.octomaclassical.org. It's a tremendous website. It's launched. We've already had double digit number of teachers. We haven't really advertised yet. Um, and so we're thrilled to be on, on the podcast, uh, but we've already had double digit numbers of teachers um, applying. And we have a tremendous head of school, Dr. Dan Sturdivant, who uh, has, has had, just has great bona fides in, in, the, uh, in the classical domain, but also is, is, as Erica said, focused on what's the best delivery model for, for, for what is needed. And so um, we're really excited about you checking us out there. We're on all of the social media um, platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Optima Classical Academy. Uh, and we're thrilled uh, to, to answer any questions and demo for folks. We, you know, one of the best things that we've learned is that people need to experience uh, Optima Classical. And we have a great, beautiful three-dimensional campus that you can walk through uh, and you can actually uh, interact with a live teacher in the demo. So uh, please be in touch and, and we'll make that happen for you guys. That's so cool. All right. Well, uh, I would love to end this off on a segment that we like to call the Furious Five. Uh, Erica, I don't know if Adam warns you, but we like to end this podcast with five questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today. They're more just kind of uh, fun, end on a high note, sort of get to know you type questions. Uh, so if it's all right with both of you, I would love to dive right into that. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't get a warning, but I'm here for it. <laughs> Awesome. All right. The first question of the Furious Five. What's the best meal that you have eaten recently? Oh, wow. Well, my favorite restaurant in Naples at the Bay House. They have tremendous fish. You know, we're here in paradise in Southwest Florida. Uh, so here, the grouper special at the Bay House is, is definitely one I've been dreaming about getting back to. You know, as a native Floridian myself, the, the fact that she went straight to Grouper really warmed my heart. That's a, an amazing answer. We, uh, we had a really good um, meal last night uh, with some friends at the uh, uh, Florida uh, Charter Conference. Uh, we had some great attendees there. I got a chance to put uh, Jeb Bush and, and others in the in, in, in demo our stuff with them, which was very exciting. No kidding. That's and there awesome. was some uh, there was some great Mediterranean food. So I had some uh, baba ganoush that I nice. that I didn't expect to like, but it was really good. Nice. The second question of the Furious Five is: What's the best movie or TV show that you've watched recently? Oh wow! I love documentaries. Um... I don't, although I don't have a lot of time for television. Um, yeah. 
Oh, uh, is this a trick question? I'm trying to think of what documentaries I've watched recently. Nothing that sticks out, I guess. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pass on that one. I know that's not a good one, but I, I no, love documentaries okay. of all kinds. I love to learn new things. And I think real life is more interesting than fiction. So I'll take any documentary any day and just learn something new. There you go. Eric and I are, are on such the same wavelength. I do not have time to watch TV, but I did watch a documentary on the FBI and Martin Luther King last night on a plane. And, um, you know, it, it, you know we're, we're now in a, in a situation in society where we want to look at, at, at King and the civil rights movement with revisionist uh, uh, goggles. And there was just a lot of complexity during that time. But there were a lot of uh, things that, that uh, King said that were so embracing of this American dream that is part of what we're trying to uh, put at the center of the work we're doing in classical education. This is a beautiful country and King certainly understood it and was willing to die for this country. So I was inspired by his life last night. Amazing. The third question of the Furious Five, what's the best book that you've ever read? Okay, I'm not going to go with the the Bible just because, but even though it is like my favorite thing to read and I do read it every day and, and glean wisdom and new things from it all the time, no matter if you read the same thing twice, but I'll go with something that's um, uh, good for my life right now, which is The Best Yes. Uh, the Best Yes is a book about saying yes to the right things um, so that you're, you're allocating your time to the things that, that God has for you to do. And you're not taking away things from other people that he has for them to do. And uh, it's a great book about uh, making sure that you say yes and to the right things and prioritizing your resources. Ryan, I, I love uh, a ton of different books. If we went classical, I'd have to bring some of, of Plato's work out. Of course, The Republic sure. is, is one of my all-time favorites. But I read recently uh, The Whipping Boy again, and, and it was part of a, a product that we are, 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 are um, infusing into our curriculum called The Holographic Great Book. And for those children out there that are uh, looking for a book to, to, to read in between their assignments, so many of our kids today don't, don't actually read full novels. Sure. The Whipping Boy is one of the all-time greats. And, uh, and, it, and it talks about this idea uh, of, of, of uh, role reversal and empathy. And I think empathy is one of the most important things that we can teach today. How do you walk a mile in someone else's shoes, right? And so, you know, the Prince and, and Jimmy, the whipping boys, roles reverse uh, in that book. And it reminded me of what can happen in VR, in body transfer, where you can literally walk a mile in Dr. King's shoes or Socrates' shoes or, and so it's just a really cool book that would be an unsuspecting book for VR lovers. But those who love the idea of body transfer and empathy machines should check out The Whipping Boy. Interesting. Super interesting answers. All right. The fourth question of the Furious Five, who is a thought leader alive today that our listeners should stop what they're doing and go listen to a TED talk by or read a book by or follow on social media? Who's, who's a thought leader that our listeners need to know about right now? Oh, I love ed reformers and school choice advocates. That's who I follow on Twitter. I, there's so many great ones. Uh, Eva Moskowitz is an amazing Success Academy CEO. Uh, Corey DeAngelis is fantastic. He does a lot of research and um, is a fellow and writer and author about school choice and 
and the impact of that in communities. And then Robert Pondicio, uh, who was a former charter school teacher and now writes and researches school choice and, and cool schools, if you will, different types of education. He's amazing as well. It just There are so many great thought leaders in education and education reform, not just classical, but all types of choices available to families and the impact that it can have on communities for generations that uh, those are three that come to mind off the top of my head. Yeah. There, there are uh, so many of our colleagues that are, are looking at, at, at um, that are part of the classical movement. We have great friends at, at Great Hearts, and I'm thinking about Curtis Endorf, uh, who has been a really good friend of mine in this process. Um, he would be one that people should check out. And, um, and, and, and I'll tell you, on the, on the just policy and thought leadership side, um, I'm partial to a guy named Byron Donalds, uh, Representative Byron Donalds. I think he's incredibly courageous, and I think he's pushing back against conventional thought. And as a contrarian, he's one of my, uh, one of my favorites to follow on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. The final question of the Furious Five is usually a question that we like to call the contrarian question. And it's Adam's question, but since it is Adam's question, he kind of already asked and answered it earlier in the podcast. Our, our longtime listeners will have picked up on that, uh, that he, uh, he jumped the gun on that just a little bit. So instead, I am going to ask a question that uh, I recently heard an Oxford-style debate on between a couple of intellectual luminaries. And the question was just simply this. Ancient Greece or ancient Rome? <laughs> so that's that's the that's the last question of the Furious Five. Ancient Greece or ancient Rome? Question. Mark. As an Italian, I'll go with ancient Rome. Okay. <laughs> Excellent answer. Um, wow. You know, when we think about what is a classical education, um, I think Rome is primary. I think so much of what uh, we 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 have today is because of Rome. Uh, but Greece is a close second, you know, and and uh, and so if you if you if you if you can't have both, because of course both are influenced, you know, Greece influenced Rome. Uh, Rome gets you a little bit of a two for one, because you get the benefits of the influence of the Egyptians and the Greeks in Rome, uh, and so you can't really have Rome without Greece. And so I would say uh, Rome for that purpose. Well, I mean, you, Adam, you know, as a uh, as a math major, I wanted you to say ancient Greece, so that's okay. We'll we'll have that debate next time that we uh, we get together in person, or next time we're together in the metaverse. Maybe we'll have this debate. I'm just a country mathematician. That's why I went with wrong. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, Erica and Adam. It has been such a pleasure to have you on Ready Teacher One. I am so incredibly excited on both a personal and a professional level to see what happens next for OCA and how this is going to just change so many students' lives. So thank you so much for being generous with your time and uh, we look forward to continuing to follow the story. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you both so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Adam, I'll look forward to having you back on the other side of the microphone next time, buddy. <laughs> great work, Ryan. This was a lot of fun. All right, you all. Have a great one. Bye.